this week, if you didn't know, March Madness will be starting. Anybody got their brackets going and all that? If you don't know what March Madness is, it's the two weeks of college basketball chaos where we will determine who the greatest team in the country is. Now, what's actually even more fascinating to me about March Madness than just all the players and teams is that 50 million Americans over the next two weeks will bet over $3 billion on these games. $3 billion for some 19 and 20-year-olds in basketball shorts. That's what we're betting for. Now, that's incredible. Now, you may not be a betting person. You may not think of yourself as a gambler. But just track with me for a minute. Think about how much of your life is placing bets. Think about how much time you were placing a bet in your life. You step into a relationship, you are making a massive bet with where that might go. You think about doing anything like buying a house, picking a college, taking on debt in some level. You're, you're making a bet in some way. And actually, think about it on this level. So many times, there's that risk-reward analysis that you have to figure out, right? Does the reward outweigh the risk? So there's little, small, little risks you take. You try a new restaurant. Now, it might work out and it's great, or it might be terrible. That's not gonna ruin your life. You make a bet on marrying somebody? Oh, man, you wanna talk about a bet? That's either gonna go great or be an absolute disaster, right? Now, think about this though. Keep, keep following the line of thinking. Think about how many bets in your life have a financial impact to them. Think about how many times you make a decision in your life that somehow affects you financially. You choose a new job. Now, it might come with a raise that's very exciting, but you are factoring in so many other things. Is it going to work out with this boss? How am I going to like the coworkers? What's the upside potential? That's a massive financial bet. You buy a house? Now, you can figure out the monthly payment, but you are making a huge bet. What are the neighbors going to be like? Where do the crazy people live? Are my kids going to like this? Like, are we going to like living in this area? That's a huge, huge bet. Think about merging your finances with somebody. You want to talk a bit about a bet? What are they going to do with your money when it's in the same account? That's a terrifying thing. You put money in the stock market, you start a business, there's almost no decision you can make in your life without it having some type of financial bet attached to it. And this is why life is so stressful sometimes. Because you make a decision and sometimes it goes great and it even pays off financially. But I know there's a lot of us in here, you have made bets in life that have not paid off. And they have come at a massive financial cost. And you can spend years of your life trying to climb out of financial holes because of bad bets that happen in your life. Now today, we are finishing up a little mini-series we have called Under New Management. If you are just joining us, the whole premise of this series is we need new management when it comes to our money. We need new leadership. We need new principles. We need new practices because our current approach is not working at all. And can I tell you guys the truth? I thought this was going to kind of be a throwaway series before we enter into like the pre-Easter time. I was like, we're just going to throw this series away and get, get on with it. I've been amazed because people have been leaning in. You guys have been taking steps. We sold all our books out after the first service of the first week of this series. Like, you guys have been hungry for this stuff. So I've just been so encouraged because I really believe seeds are getting planted in our church right now that are really going to start taking root over the next weeks and months, and it's going to change people's lives. But today, I saved the best for last, everybody. This is, I don't say this often. I think this is going to be a pretty good sermon. I don't know. I'm saying it before I preach it. That's risky, but I think it's going to be pretty good. What we're talking about today, I have always been aware of when it's coming to my faith. I could have articulated it on some level, 
but I have never appreciated how powerful this principle really is and how much it is embedded in the fabric of Jesus' life and teaching. It has completely changed the way I perceive this whole thing. And I'm hoping it does the same thing for you today. So we're going to get after it. I want to talk for a minute about the unexpected bet. We're going to look at a couple passages, and I want to see if you can detect the thread through all of them. If you can see this unbelievable potent principle that comes right out of the Bible. The first passage we're going to look at, Jesus encounters a guy who's asking him, how do I get eternal life? I feel like I'm doing everything right, but it still feels like I'm missing something. Look what Jesus says to him when they have this conversation. Mark 10, one thing you lack, this is Jesus, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So Jesus says, you do lack something. There is a problem, but we got a prescription. Let's go to the next passage. Jesus is not just talking to one guy now. He's teaching an entire crowd in the context of money. He says this in Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Interesting. Jesus is talking about money. He says, don't be afraid. These are people who are worrying about having enough money. Now, if I'm being real, this is my single greatest fear when it comes to money. Is it going to run out? And anytime there's a month where the market is down or Nicole's business is a little slow, my brain immediately goes to, we're all going to die. We are going to starve to death. We are going to be eating ramen for the next six months. We have to turn the heat down to 40 degrees. Okay, kids, so put some layers on. And kids, you need to hitchhike to preschool because I can't afford the gas. Like, this is what we, like, we're going Navy SEAL on this thing right now. That's where my brain goes. And yet, interestingly, Jesus is like, don't do that. Don't be afraid. There's another way to approach this. Let me do another passage. Jesus is having a meal with some religious leaders called Pharisees. Look what he says to them in Luke 11. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside too? God made all of you. He cares about what's going on in your heart. Look at the prescription. But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Now, humor me. I have one more passage. Jesus is having dinner with a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has a moment of total transformation that we can't even fully understand. It doesn't share every detail. But look what he says in Luke 19. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount now look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Now, did you see any threads there? This is what is so mind-blowing to me. I could have articulated this whole principle generically, but when I really look at this, you see how prominent this is in the teaching and life of Jesus and what Jesus is telling all of these people, what he is trying to drive home, even in multiple different contexts, is this. Generosity is the best bet you can make. Now, hold on, because I know you're like, okay, what are you talking about, Brian? Where are we going with this? 
Look at these passages. The first guy, this rich dude. How do I get eternal life? Jesus is like, well, there's a problem. You are finding your identity in your money. And we need to separate that attachment. And actually, this might be counterintuitive. You need to start stepping into generosity for that to happen. You need to take some action. He talks to the crowd. They are fearful about money and having enough. Who has not felt that way at some point in their life? And Jesus says, again, you might not expect this. You don't need to make more. You don't need to save more. You need to, you need to give. That's how we're going to solve some of the fear of finances in your life. The third conversation with the Pharisees. These guys are hoarding. They're greedy. They got a ton of resources. And Jesus is like, you know how you are going to cleanse your soul? Choosing a generous lifestyle particularly towards those who have less. That is what is going to lead to what you actually need to have happen in your heart. The last one's interesting, though. Zacchaeus says, I'm about to give away half of my money. That's crazy talk. And instead of Jesus saying, whoa, 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 dude, don't go crazy. I mean, you still got to pay the bills. He says, today, you've been saved. God has come right into your soul. Now, he's not saved because he gave, Jesus is saying, your generosity is an indication of God's work in your life. Do you see this? Jesus is saying, all of your financial struggles, whether it's fear, anxiety, greed, hoarding, misuse of spending, he said, all of this expresses itself in different ways in our lives. But he says, there truly is one single bet you need to make. Don't bet on saving as much as you can. Don't bet on trying to be fearful and hold it all together. Don't bet on hoarding and being greedy. Bet on God. That's what he's saying. You need to make a different bet. And it's not even just this. This is what's crazy. It's not even just that generosity is the best bet. He's saying generosity is a no-risk, all-reward bet. Now, I'm wondering if any of you have had these feelings before when it comes to generosity. Sometimes if I give to an organization or a ministry or even church, my brain kind of goes to, man, I could have gotten a lot with that money. I could have gone out to a nice dinner. We could have gone on a trip. Like, how do I know what kind of difference this is even making? Like, it's hard to measure how tangible generosity really is. And so sometimes it's just not that exciting to do it. And what's crazy is Jesus says, when you're generous, you are not just making an impact in somebody else's life or God's kingdom work. You are making an investment in your heavenly account. He said, there is treasure in heaven and your generosity in this life has a direct impact on the riches you will experience in the next life. Now, I can't believe Jesus would say something like that. Because I'm thinking, Jesus, you are totally appealing to greed right now. Like, why would you tell everybody, hey, if you give now, you're going to get rich later? Like, that sounds like the ultimate way to get people's hearts sideways. Like, just give and you're going to get everything you want. But I was thinking about this. Jesus, he's not appealing to greed. He's appealing to faith. And what he's saying is, do not bet on money. Do not put your faith in how much you can secure, how much you can make, how much you can pile up. Do not bet on money. You need to bet on God. He is the ultimate bet you can make. He is an all rewards, no risk investment. There is only upside in this investment. There's no risk attached to it. So Jesus is saying, this is the best single bet you can make. You have to make sure you bet on God. Do not bet on your money. Put all the chips in the middle to God and make that bet. And Jesus says, it will always pay off. Now, we do not appreciate how much Jesus' teaching has completely changed the world. It's completely changed human history. 
You guys know uh, Christians get a bad rap sometimes. Have you noticed that? We don't exactly have a great reputation in the world. Some of that's deserved, all right? Christians do dumb stuff. Some of you guys are really weird. We're all weird sometimes, right? We have some weirdness to us. Let's just be real. But some of it really is unwarranted, the whole thing about what people say about Christians. But a lot of people would say, oh, Christians, they're those tight-fisted, kind of stingy Scrooge types, you know? They don't really walk the talk of what they say. Well, you know what? Again, some of that's justified, but what you need to know is Christians are the single most potent force for generosity in the entire world. They really are. Barner's a research organization. They just put this out recently. They said Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion. Christians also, I love this, outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. Okay? Yeah, got to cheer for that. So, think about this, though. There is no way that genuine Christians are the majority of the population in America. Not even close. And actually, let's just be honest. Christians typically do not represent the wealthiest in society. And yet, even though that is the case, Christians are far outgiving anybody else in addressing the real needs of this world through their generosity. And so I'm telling you, you can say all you want about Christians. You can talk bad, and you can say we all fall short, and we mess up, and we do. But you need to know, there are some genuine, Jesus-believing, spirit-empowered, faith-filled people who are putting their money where their mouth is. And they are betting on God. And it is making a difference in this world. Amen, Brian. That's true. And guess what? It's happening here right in this church, too. This is being lived out in our church. I'll let you guys peek behind the curtain of our church a little bit. We use three filters when we think about the generosity of our collective church. And we always say we want to give towards things that invest in the next generation, the poor, and the local church. Now, there are some amazing causes out there that may not fit in those three, but we feel like those are the greatest kingdom return on investments we could make, the greatest kingdom investments. So, I just want to let you guys know some of the cool things that we get to be a part of as a church. Weeks ago, we talked about global action and how they're involved in serving in the most high-need areas in the world, equipping the churches and the pastors, the ministries there that we have specifically been able to give towards the needs of Ukraine and people displaced by that. It's an amazing partnership. Northeast Elementary, the school right down the street, Title I school, lots of poverty, lots of struggle. We as a church have just adopted them, giving them supplies, coming behind the teachers. This year, we're going to update their playground. It's going to be an amazing thing. I just talked about today, Strategic Launch Network, how we are now helping start new churches all across the country. We're going to serve 15 churches in just a month right here in our building. But some of you guys might not know, we also have some amazing partnerships with ministries like A World Aware, which over the years have helped 4,000 kids be equipped with essential life skills also getting deposited in with the word of Jesus and his truth and being raised up to make a difference across the entire continent of Africa. Compassion. Some of you may know that works with kids. Through our partnership with them, we have sponsored over 800 children and given a total of three plus million dollars through that relationship with Compassion. Ethnos 360, another ministry, translates the Bible for people groups who don't even have it in their language and we get to work with them on that. Some of you may not even know, on a regular basis, we as a church are able to give out benevolence for high needs in our church with unexpected hospital bills, rent, joblessness, all these different things. I had a woman just a few weeks ago come up to me between the services and she's a single mother. They're just in a difficult transitional season right now. And she said, Brian, we had missed a couple rent payments and the eviction process got started on us. And she said, 
When that happened, that day, the check from Northern Hills showed up. And I just cannot thank this church enough for allowing us to just stay in this apartment as we figure out this new situation. You know, I know I've said it many times and I will never get tired talking about it. It was less than a year ago when I stood right on the stage in front of our church and said, guys, we have an opportunity to make a strategic investment in the next generation. And we have no idea how it's going to work, but we're going to try this thing. And in four weeks, everybody, this church gave nearly a quarter of a million dollars in four weeks. It was ridiculous. Unbelievable. And now there are kids in this church every week hearing about Jesus and getting raised up to make a real difference in this world. And now we're launching all these grades in the fall. It's incredible. But every day, there are all these little smaller forms of generosity that so many of us don't get to hear about on a day-to-day basis. Like, for example, these last couple weeks, you know how many people have come up to me and said, Brian, I want to sponsor some true financial freedom courses for people in our church. Just how many do you need? We want to help as many people out. We just want to bless people in that need. There's a guy in our church who will sometimes let us use some of his drum gear because he's a drummer. And just a few weeks ago, he's like, you know what, Brian? I'm just going to donate a whole set of cymbals to this church. Which for you non-drummers, those are very expensive pieces of equipment right there. And they're sitting on our drum set right now. They're beautiful. So total just gift from a man in our church. There was a, a couple in our church that had a car repair situation. You know, unexpected expense, always expensive. And somebody in our church just said, how much? All right, I'm just going to write the check. I'm just going to cover it to bless this couple in our church that had that need. I could go on and on. Men buying books for the entire men's ministry. So many different things going on in our church. But there are people all across this community who are just living out this lifestyle of generosity on a day-to-day basis. You know why this is so powerful? This is so powerful because our generosity is a glimpse of the generosity of God. It's a small picture of who he is. Many of you guys would recognize this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The single greatest act of generosity in the history of humanity happened on the cross, where God gave everything for you and for me. Everything. And now, when you even see a single person make a small financial sacrifice or just give a little bit to serve other people or you see a church do it, you are getting a tiny picture of the very character and nature of God You're seeing a glimpse into who he really is. No wonder this is such a powerful thing. No wonder this is something Jesus calls us to because it has such transformational power, not just in the world, but in your own life. This can completely change your life in ways you never even imagined. And this is why I want every single person to just get a taste of what this is really like because so many people go their whole lives and never get to experience it. So I want to get real practical right now. How can you tap into the power of generosity in your own life? How can you start to experience this and see some of the promises of Jesus? And not only that, build up some fat treasure in heaven, everybody. I mean, I'm just saying, if I don't get a Tesla in this life, I'm going to have three in heaven, all right? You'll know. You'll see them on my driveway in heaven, all right? So let's get real. How do you take steps into this? What does this look like? The first thing we see is that you have to prioritize it. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this is an agricultural context. And when they talk about first fruits, they're saying you bring the first of your harvest. You bring it back to God as an act of worship and trust to him. The order is critical, everybody. 
The teaching of the Bible is God has to be first. He can't be second in your life. He can't just be a peripheral. He has to be the central, most important thing. Now, this is very counterintuitive to how we naturally operate. Because all of us in here, our natural bent is the me-first approach to life. So when it comes to our money, the first thing we do is we say, okay, first, I have to live, right? <laughs> I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. Like, does anybody sometimes feel like money is second only to oxygen? <laughs> you know, it feels pretty essential. And so we're like, I got to live. And then if I have anything left over, maybe I'll save. And if I even have a little bit left over, maybe I'll think about giving if, you know, I'm really feeling motivated. That's, that's how we operate. And it's totally understandable. It makes perfect sense. And that's why that's how most people live. But Jesus completely challenges this way of living. He flips it right on its head. And he's talking in the context of money here in Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know what Jesus is saying? Bet on God. Put him first. Make him the priority and see if he really will come through and prove himself and provide. So Jesus gives us a whole new framework. He says, it's not me first, it's seek first. So Jesus says, the first thing you do is you give. Generosity is the first thing. It's the priority. And then you save and then you live. And you're placing yourself in a position for God to show that he is really your provider in your life as you make him the absolute priority. But it's not just prioritize it. You have to plan for it. Now, there's just something about planning. I have a, a, a gym membership that I enjoy, very fancy schmancy one, Planet Fitness, $10 a month for all my Planet Fitness folk out there. I got, we got a Northern Hills crew at Planet Fitness right now, okay? We're changing the world. So the funny thing is, I don't know a whole lot about exercise and all those things. I, we got physical therapists in our church and nutritionalists. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. If I go to the gym without a plan, those are the most hilarious one hours of my life. Because I'm just putzing around looking for the most fun-looking machine. And I'm just playing with it, and I don't even know how it works. That's what it looks like if I don't have a plan. So I've learned I need to walk in there with some expert who's told me, do these workouts in this order with these amount of reps, and then it totally changes the experience. I look like a pro because I have a plan. And it's exactly the same way with generosity. You actually have to plan for generosity. We always think it's supposed to be this spontaneous spur of the moment thing, and sometimes it is, but actually, no. The Bible says you must plan for this. So we use a framework in our church as we help people. It's kind of like the generosity journey that we say a lot of people go on. So for many people, it looks like this. All of us start here. We start with nothing. We give nothing. We're not generous at all. This is how we're all born. It's just not a part of our lives. And guess what? There's no guilt to that. That's where we all start. It's just real life. Now, I would say this. If you go any length of time staying in that category, especially if you're a Christian, it's going to start being detrimental to your walk with God. You, you will miss out on what he wants for you. So many people, as they go on this journey with God, they will step into giving something, right? They'll take a step in that generosity journey. Guess what? That is amazing. You get to a point where you're actually parting with hard-earned money to support other people and causes. Now, something, it might be random. It might just be an emotional thing. It's not part of the plan, but that's amazing. That's huge. Now, there are some people, they get to a point where they step into intentional generosity. This is a critical moment in your life where you say, you know what? I am going to plan for this. I'm going to budget for it. It's going to be a set amount, a set percentage on a regular basis. That is incredible. Totally life-changing. We support that. Now, research shows that 3% of Christians 
will even take a step beyond this at some point in their life. 3%. It's a very small group. And they will step into what's often called the tithe. Now, if you don't know what this is, this is a teaching and principle throughout the Bible of bringing God the first 10% of what comes into your life as an act of worship and trust. And it, one of the most famous verses that speaks to it is Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. It was months ago. I was starting to prepare for this series. So I was getting my notes together, starting to get some passages. And I just started thinking across my ministry experience. And I could not deny the fact that I have seen a direct correlation between people who get to tithing and the level of blessing they experience in their life. Now, stop. There's so much nuance to that. I'm not saying that tithing is a guarantee of a great marriage, that you're going to make a ton of money, that God's going to make your life easy. It is, we are not some health and wealth prosperity church. That's not what I'm saying. But I cannot deny the fact that every person I know of that has taken that step has seen a level of blessing and direction in God's favor in ways that I just haven't seen in other people's lives. I can't deny it. And I started wrestling with this. I'm in my home office, and I was just like, is there really a correlation? Can I really say that with such confidence? Is this really true? Truly. Like I, and I wrestled with this for a while, and so I stopped, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to pray about this for a minute. I'm just going to pray and see if like anything comes up. So I'm starting to walk out of my office and right as I hit the threshold of the door, I felt like I got punched in the chest. Now, I am very careful. I am not somebody who puts words in God's mouth. I'm not a, this is what God says, even though it contradicts everything else that he teaches in the Bible. I'm not saying that. So you can totally disregard all of this. I'm just saying, this is my experience. And I haven't had many of these. I've never heard the audible voice of God. But at this moment, I felt like I took a punch to the chest. And as I'm walking out, asking this question, why do I see this correlation? I felt like God just said, you know why. You know why, Brian. Don't make this more complicated than it is. It's very simple. And you know the verse. And I walked back sheepishly back to my computer <laughs> with my tail in between my legs. And I remember reading the rest of Malachi 3. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And in that moment, I just felt like God was saying, Brian, the reason why you see that correlation is because I will never fail to bless someone who bets on me. If anybody steps into that tithing category, they are testing me, and I always pass the test. I never fail that test, Brian. And... I have seen this time and time again, just in people's lives. There's a couple in our church, they've just become friends of Nicole's and I's, and I was with the husband a while back, and he said, hey, Brian, um, just so you know, uh, we started tithing. And I'm like, oh, that's great, man. Like, what led to that decision? He's like, well, our pastor keeps talking about it every single week at church, so I feel like we had to do it. <laughs> so, but we just got this conversation, and what was incredible to me about this couple is they got young kids, they just bought a house. They have school loans. They are paying for childcare. They didn't inherit some massive amount of money. And yet with all of these costs, and they're in a tight season, they have chosen to bet on God. They made a bet. And it was interesting because Nicole and I had dinner with them recently. The kids were playing. And I'm sitting with this couple. And I just felt this solidarity with them. 
Like there was just this sense of connection because I'm like, these guys are betting on God. And that just stirs my faith. That challenges me to keep betting on God too. Like we are in this thing together. There's another family in our church. We had a handful of couples over at our house hanging out and we were talking about the lids in our life. If you were here in January, we had a series called Take the Lid Off. And so one of the husbands, he got super real and he's like, you know, Brian, my lid is financial comfort. You know, I just worry about that stuff. It's, it's like the biggest fear in my life. And he just got super real. And so we all talked about it, had a great conversation, but he texted me later that night, totally unexpected. He said this, exact quotes. Okay, there, I did it. I took the lid off and set up recurring tithing. I know myself and figure it's too painful to give manually, but if it's auto-recurring, it takes the thought process and the pain out of it. I'm like, I feel that, dude. I totally feel that. But it wasn't that text, actually, that was so profound to me. You know what he sent me after that? He said, I had an additional bit of an epiphany yesterday, too. When I had mentioned my lid is the comfort of money, and I made the comment that my wife often keeps me accountable to that, I just realized that by not tithing, not only am I failing God's word, but I'm also failing my wife who is depending on me to tithe on her behalf since she relies on me for the financial responsibilities of her family. That one hit me in the chest. That is a man who is betting on God for the sake of his family. When I asked him for permission to share some of these texts, he just sent me this little piece. He said, Brian, it was amazing the next morning. I actually felt liberated. I woke up and told myself, why wouldn't I have taken that step sooner? Can I share one more story with you guys? You're like, you have the mic, Brian, so. <laughs> we don't really have a choice. Last week, a couple comes up to me after church, and they're just getting really real. They said, Brian, um, we're really struggling right now. A few weeks ago, we decided to take a step and try tithing. So it had nothing to do with this series. They just did it on their own accord. They said, the problem is tithing is now causing us to be negative every month in our budget. And this can't go on forever. And we're just in a tough financial season. It's really tight. And I just, I felt that with them. Because here's the thing. We make this very black and white. This is real life we're talking about. This is scary stuff. And I just tried to encourage them. I prayed for them. And I ran into them later that night at another event. And I said, hey, guys, I just want to encourage you. I really believe God's going to provide. He's going to make way. I've seen it time and time again, trying to lift them up. But you know what the husband said to me? He said, you know what, Brian? I believe that too. I really believe God's going to make a way. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. That is a man who is betting on God. That is a couple that is putting their chips right into the middle of the table with God and seeing if he is really going to prove himself. You got to make a plan for this, everybody. These families, they made a plan, even when it didn't make sense. They said, we're going to step into this thing. Now, it's not just prioritizing or planning. There's one other piece, though. We actually have a call to progress in it, to progress in it. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, I love that word excel. Paul's like, I want you 
to expand in this. I want you to abound it. I want you to go beyond your current limits. I want you to take the lid off this thing and do it in large quantities. And isn't it interesting? He said the grace of giving. That's so important. Many times in the Bible, grace is even translated as gift. Paul is trying to drive home this point. This is not an obligation. God is not twisting your arm. He's not just exerting pressure on you to force this into your life. It is a gift from him. It's actually a grace. It is his goodness in your life. He is calling you to a good thing. And one thing that Nicole and I learned early in our marriage from somebody else was we put a line item in our budget that we call rags. Now, this means random acts of generosity. So it's just a line item in our budget where any given month, it might be paying for the Starbucks behind you in the drive-thru, paying for the meal if you go out with somebody, doing just some random act of generosity. It's just been just a part of our life. The book that I've been pushing everybody to buy these last couple weeks, interestingly, the couple had a very similar idea. They had a line up in their budget just to bless other people. They called it Seeds. And they're like, we just want to plant seeds of generosity in people's lives, that God's going to move in their life. And I was like, ooh, I like that. Seeds. Because these acts of generosity, they're not random. I really believe that God is intentionally placing Nicole and I into people's lives so we can be generous and change it from the inside out and see it grow into something even greater. But there was one line in that book, and this is why I want you to get it, some nuggets in there. The authors said this, never suppress a generous thought. Never suppress a generous thought. Years ago, I was working at a church in Indianapolis, and I had a coworker. She and her husband were newlyweds, very young couple, did not have a lot of resources, and I knew that because this girl worked for me, and she made even less money than I did, and I was totally broke. So I was like, dang, these people are poor, okay? Well, their car broke down, and I remember just, you know, feeling bad about the situation. Nicole and I were on a walk later that night. I remember this moment so clearly. And as we're talking about just how we felt bad for them and everything, I had this impression as loud as an audible voice. I felt it so strong in my chest. God saying, give them your car. Now, at first I was like, get behind me, Satan, because <laughs> that's, that's too much. But it was clear, you know, it ain't something the devil's going to ask you to do. And I just started wrestling with this. First, there was this initial excitement, like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Because up to that point, Nicole and I, you know, we've been generous, but that would have been the greatest act of generosity we have ever experienced in that point of our lives. And so I remember the next day or two just really wrestling through this, like, what would this look like? How would it work? And our car at the time, I mean, it wasn't any BMW, and it was worth a couple thousand dollars. And Nicole and I, we had margin. We could have bought a new car. It would have been a huge stretch, but we could have pulled this off. And so I'm looking at the numbers and looking all through, and I got to this moment of decision. And I'm like, all right. This is too much. Too much of a stretch. And I said no to that prompting. Now, I never discussed this with the couple. I never brought it up to them. But that moment has haunted me for over 10 years. Because I still wonder to this day, what blessing did that couple miss out on? Because I said no. What blessings did I miss out on? Because I was unwilling to bet on God that he could actually make a way through that and use us for this radical act of generosity. Now, fast forward to just this past fall. Our church went through this more than us initiative. We said, let's be generous, church. We're giving away every single penny to other ministries and churches. Really cool thing. Well, Nicole and I were on a date for her birthday. We're down in Denver, and she opens up the conversation. She says, hey, uh, so what do you want to do for this more than us initiative? What's our number? And I'll be real with you guys. I was like, here's the thing, babe. 
We were really sacrificial for Hills Academy. We gave a lot to that. We've done a lot this year. Life is expensive. I'm like, I think this is a very appropriate number for where we're at. And I kid you not, I got the absolute stink face from my wife. She was like, what is wrong with you? Any husbands get the disgust face from your wife? Am I the only one who gets that every now and then? So she gives me the stink face, and she's like, that's your number? I said, well, what's your number? And she said, three times that amount. Now, husbands, I've learned this art, and I'm sure you have too. In that moment, I wanted to say this out loud, but I only thought it in my head, because I'm a smart husband. But what I wanted to say was, woman, do you know who manages the budget in this house? Do you know the numbers? Do you like these dates? Do you want to keep going on these dates? Because we're not going on these dates if we keep throwing our money out the window like you want to do this. I didn't say it out loud. That's everything I wanted to say. But in the past, Nicole and I have sometimes met in the middle if our numbers weren't the same. We'd do a compromise. But I had this moment of clarity, and I said, hold on. I refuse to suppress the generosity of my wife. I will not suppress her promptings of generosity. And so, for the More Than Us initiative, we gave Nicole's number this past fall. It was a stretch. We were generous by our standards. But if it comes to betting on my budgeting skills or betting on God, I'm going to bet on God every single day of the week. And you know, this generosity journey is a journey that so many people in our church have gone on and are going on and seeing the amazing fruits from. There's actually a couple in our church who wanted to share some of their story of their journey too. So I'm gonna let them share some of that right now. Hi, my name's Minnie Sauce and uh, this is my husband. Java Sauce. And we met um, 13 years ago. My HR director kept nudging me and telling me, hey, that guy's checking you out. Long story short, um, that evening, we uh, crossed paths and that was our first time that we spoke and met really. And uh, from there, he asked for my number and asked to take me to lunch. It's a little bit different how we viewed money, you know, um, coming into the relationship, into our marriage. If I needed something and I went to the store and whether I needed it or not, I guess, you know, so if it was a need, I didn't look at the price. I put it in the cart and I bought it. If it was $25, $50, I needed a pair of shoes or $100. If I had the money, I bought it. I didn't think with that mindset of, you know, it's $100, there's no way I'm gonna buy that. Yes, I am, because those shoes look good. I had to accept that my wife can just pick up something that's pricey and I'm just like, wow, $100 shoes? That's, I never, I mean, not to say I didn't have nice stuff, but I would never spend $100 on the shoes. I mean, my wife actually surprised me one time with my first $200 pair of shoes and I about flipped out. I'm like, I could have bought so much more stuff with $200 than a pair of shoes that I have already plenty of. So I came with a lot of financial baggage. Um, and where Minnie, I mean, she was established in her career already at this point. Um, she had two kids that she was, you know, raising up until like even into our marriage she said okay i'm gonna start tithing i'm like okay you know it's paying the church like it really didn't have a significant meaning to me not until um where i, where I was working three jobs um, and god was 
Benny and I just said, okay, we got to start praying because, you know, I was, I was seeking a career. Like, he opened the door to this company. They wanted to hire me at $9 an hour. Now, bartending, I was making just without tips $18 an hour. And I went, I said, are you seriously, God? This is, this is the door you're opening at $9 an hour. And we went with it. And so I was... Interested. Yeah, I went from making $300 a day to $300 or $270 a week. A week. I, we get this random call for a position that was paying three times that. And then sure enough, it was that, that job that led to why, you know, God's like, this is what I had in mind for you. I was like, God, you open this door. This is, this is all you're doing. Therefore, this money is you, yours. And that's when the whole tithing thing kind of clicked for me. And it didn't click as, as something I should do, like a religious thing. It clicked on a more spiritual, like, like almost like a praise. Like I was honored to give back to what he, he gave me. But because of that tithing, that, that, that freedom, honestly, it was that the release of uh, the hold of money had on you. Um, I didn't worry, you know, my finances were God's problem. God always made a way. When we were negative, out of nowhere, he'd put somebody in our path that said, here, here's a little, and guess what? That little got us out. Mm -hmm. So what I would tell someone who hasn't experienced, certainly something that I know firsthand of God's, you know, faithfulness in our lives as a result of tithing is take the lid off, don't be afraid. Give it away. Test him. Give it away. What are you going to lose? Can I say something? I'd be like, you're crazy if you don't. Seriously, that's what I want to tell somebody. You're crazy. Come on, let's give him a hand. You know, if, if you haven't met Benny and Chava, you spend five minutes with them, they are going to fire you up. They are faith-filled people. You know, we talked for an hour and 20 minutes, and we had to cram that down to four minutes. They shared story after story of hardships and seasons and how God brought them through so many different experiences. And I'm telling you, Minnie and Chaba, they don't have some special power that you don't have access to. They're not like some type of superhero. They have just made the decision, we are going to bet on God. And if you know anything about this couple, they are blessed. The favor of God is on this family. And what I want for every single person in our church is to have that same experience. I want you to have the thrill and joy of betting on God, of putting the chips in the middle of your life and saying, all right, God, I'm testing you. I want to see what you actually can do. Can you actually come through? Can you actually bless? Are you going to do things that are beyond anything I could ask or imagine? That's what I want for every single person. Because it is a thrill ride, everybody, when you go on it. And I've been saying every week, sermons are not enough, especially for something like this. As important as these are, this is just a launch pad into an amazing journey that God wants to take you on, which is why I've been just harping on these resources the last couple weeks. So if you're joining us, every week we've been saying, get this book, Simple Money, Rich Life. It's just a fresh take on all things personal finance from a Christian perspective, and it will get you on a path of real financial freedom. And truly, for some of us, 
you might be in here and you're like, Brian, I got a good budget system. I'm doing okay financially. You might even be very wealthy. And you're like, this probably isn't really for me. Well, I'll tell you guys this. Nicole and I, we do the basics very well. We're very money savvy people. But we still went through these resources. And you know what section of the book changed my life so much? Is the generosity section. And again, Nicole and I, we do all the basics. We tithe, we give, we do offerings, we do all that. But when I read this couple's story of the journey God's taken them on, it challenged me. And I, I sat down with Nicole a while ago. I said, babe, I wonder if we need to start making some bigger bets. Maybe we need to bet some more on God and see what he can do. So wherever you're at financially, this book will stretch you and challenge you. But it's not just the book. We have this course, True Financial Freedom. This organization has given us a special opportunity. It's all online. It's all on demand. It's six sessions. You can go at your own pace. They have handouts and resources and downloads. It's incredible. But this special discount that this company specifically gave our church, the seedtime.com slash TFF, 40% discount, it goes away today at midnight. It disappears. It does not exist anymore. And so please do not procrastinate on this. Make this a priority. And know what's so cool? I have a line of people in our church just waiting to pay for this course for somebody. So if you're somebody and you're like, man, that just might be a little bit of a stretch. Like, I just don't know if I can handle the pitch. Let us, let us bless you. Some of you single parents in the room, if you're between a job, if you're just in a tight season, you're trying to get out of a financial hole, if you've got a lot of debt, let us bless you with that. There are people who want to be generous to you. So come find us today. Stop at the kiosk. Talk to me after the service. We'll hook you up. You'll leave with a free course today. But also, we did one more thing to serve this church. If you go to nhills.org slash resources, we created a whole page on there. If you click on finances, it has a whole list of other resources outside of these. Other books, other sermons, podcasts, links you can go to that'll keep you going on this journey of generosity. I'm telling you, all of it is going to be so beneficial for you. So check that out. But hear the heart for this, everybody. This is what this is all about. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you're in Christ, you have eternal riches at your disposal. You have an eternity of riches ahead of you, treasure in heaven, your own salvation, something we can't even imagine. You know why we're generous? Because our God is generous. And when you step on this journey, you are going to become more like Jesus. It's going to change your life. So this is my final challenge to everybody as we close this series. Bet on God. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your generosity. What you did on the cross was the most expensive thing that has ever happened. And we have experienced all the benefits of it. So we thank you, God, for your salvation, for the freedom we have in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the grace of giving, the gift of generosity, that we get to be a part of your kingdom work here in this life, but also that you promise treasure in heaven, Lord, that what we do today will have a direct impact on our eternal life. So God, thank you for the opportunity. I pray, Lord, though, for all of us in here, this is a struggle. This is not our natural bent, God. We have fear of finances. 
We look to it for our security, for our identity. Lord, I pray for freedom in our church today. Break the chains, Lord, of poverty mentality, prosperity mentality. Lord, I pray that we would bet on you that we put our hope in you, God. And I pray for miracles in this church. I want more people to have stories, Lord, of your faithfulness like many a child had. I want people to be able to have massive testimonies of you coming through, of you making way, of the blessing that comes with generosity. So Lord, let our church just overflow in this gift. Let our generosity overflow into this world. And I pray you would continue to use us for greater things because we are betting on you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.